Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew 1, 1 to 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <clears throat> Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Elikiam, and Elikiam the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eluid, and Eluid the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Great job, Carol, getting through all those names. Well, good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Timo, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, before we um, study this passage together, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but you've have spoken to us. You've come to us. So as we consider this portion of your word, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Help us see and trust in your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, so this morning we continue our Advent series considering the idea that God is with us. And we started a few weeks ago with uh, God with us in the garden. Uh, as he created us to have a close fellowship with him, uh, a fellowship that we tragically lost due to our sin, but that God promised to restore. Uh, then we made a few stops along the this history of, of the Bible. Uh, we considered God with us in the tabernacle. The tabernacle is that big tent that God told Moses uh, that he should build and this tent would travel with uh, the Israelites, Israelites as they so sojourned through the wilderness. Last week, we considered God with us in the furnace, uh, 
looking at the story of three Israelite men during the time of exile in Babylon and how these men were tested. Um, their, their faithfulness to God was tested and God saved them from the flames of the fiery furnace. And this morning we will be considering the idea of God with us in the context of the family. In the context of the family. Uh, I don't know if uh, you guys remember these things called family photo albums. You know, right? Before we had uh, phones that could store thousands, even millions of, of pictures, right? We actually had these printed albums, printed books with pictures of our families. Um, and I personally loved looking at, at these albums growing up. I think my family had maybe two or three. Um, and I just loved looking at those photos, right? Laughing at the silly faces because you couldn't Photoshop, you know, back then. So the face was what it was. Um, figuring out the context in which the, the pictures were taken and also uh, learning the names of uh, my relatives, right? But I also remember feeling a bit embarrassed when looking at those uh, family photo albums. You know, seeing my own pictures as a silly, you know, silly, silly kid with silly faces, right? Uh, but also when seeing some pictures of uh, my relatives, the, the ones that I wasn't or my family wasn't too proud of, right? Or the ones that I knew were not too proud of me. Maybe you have your own uh, family photo albums, and I'm sure they evoke all sorts of memories and feelings. Because family is like that, right? Family is a wonderful and strange combination of beauty and brokenness. And you know what? God can relate to that. This morning, we'll look together at the passage that Carol just read, the genealogy of Jesus from the first chapter of uh, the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Let me say this from the start. If you're thinking, oh no, I did not come in this morning to spend 20 to 30 minutes looking at a list of names that sounds like the back of a shampoo bottle. Um, don't worry about it. We're not going to go through all the names. We're not going to do that kind of expository preaching this morning, okay? Uh, but we will consider the purpose of, the, of this genealogy uh, and what it teaches us about us, more importantly, what it teaches us about God. So let's think about this passage in two headings. First, the family that God came to the family that God came to, and then later we'll look at the family God brings us into, okay? So let's uh, consider the family God came to. So uh, genealogy is basically uh, a family tree, right? That lists uh, previous relatives and going as far, uh, as many gener generations as possible. This genealogy, uh, genealogy, though, is a bit different in the sense that it's somewhat selective, right? When you look at all the, all the details and compare it to the, the genealogy that we see in the book of Luke, you realize it's not an exhaustive um, genealogy, an, an exhausted list. And it's mostly dudes, right? So there's a few women listed, but, uh, but it's mostly guys. And additionally, the, the, uh, if you weren't too distracted by all the names, 
you, you notice that there's a specific structure to this genealogy. So the point is, whoever wrote this, and it's uh, um, Matthew, Ma- Matthew wrote this uh, to make a specific point. And what's that point? It's what we see in verse 1, and also what we see in verse um, 16. It says, uh, looking at verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. So Matthew calls Jesus the Christ. Now, as you might know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title, right? It's a Greek word equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one or chosen one. And that is Matthew's point. That's the point that he wants to prove, that Jesus, the one born to Mary and Joseph in the town of Bethlehem, that child, that man, is the Messiah, the king that God had promised long ago to send to his people, to save his people. And Matthew backs up that claim by pointing, um, by pointing out Jesus' royal pedigree, right? That Jesus comes from the line of David and then ultimately goes back all the way to the, to the patriarch Abraham, right? So he, Jesus is the Messiah. And then in the rest of the gospel, in the, in the 27 chapters that, that come after this chapter one, we see that Jesus is not only a human king, he is, but at the same time, he's also a divine king. He is God in the flesh. Okay, so what Matthew is doing, Matthew is a Jewish man uh, in writing um, mostly to a Jewish audience. What he's trying to do is to prove to his audience that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And that's, that's what we do today here too at, at church or Christians around the world. This is what we want to do. This is our mission, our objective, our purpose, to tell other people that Jesus is the Christ. That's why we exist. And so friend, if you're here this morning, uh, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus or you have questions about the Christian faith, we would love for this, this environment to be a place for you to, to find answers to those questions. We'd be happy to walk alongside as you as you look into who Jesus is and what he has done. Okay, so, so the genealogy has a point, a historical and we could even say apologetic point. But as Matthew lays out the evidence for this claim, he also shows what kind of, of, Jesus, uh, what kind of savior Jesus is, right? You see, for us, um, especially if we're not too familiar with Old Testament history, this genealogy feels just like an ancient and foreign list of names, right? Like the ingredients in, 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 a, in a shampoo bottle, right? But for a Jewish person in the first century, this was the closest thing they had to a family photo book, right? Well, that's, that's uh, Abraham, our oldest ancestor. 
the one who was an idol worship, idol worshiper before God called him. Oh, that's Jacob, who was a deceiver and had 12 plus kids with multiple women. Yeah, that's, the, that's Rahab, the lady who was a prostitute, but believed in God and helped our people and then became part of our people. Oh, that's David, the guy who defeated the giant and then became the greatest king in our nation and who then took advantage of someone else's wife and tried to cover it up by killing the guy. Oh, that's Manasseh, the king, uh, the worst king of all, who brought back idol worship into the nation and burned his own son as a sacrifice to his gods. So, this genealogy was a picture of the Jewish family, who they came from, their history, really, their identity. It was a messy picture of a messy family. Well, we live in a world of options, right? If you go to Chipotle, you have four options that you can choose from, and then you can customize those four options in as many ways as you want, right? Extra, um, extra sour cream, like uh, I think you like it, JT, with extra sour cream. Yeah, I like extra chicken and spicy, although my body can't do that anymore. Um, but if you go anywhere you go, you go to a store to find one kind of item, but you have multiple options. And even, you know, there's multiple stores. We have Giant up here, we have Safeway, we have Mom's Market, we have so many options in the world, right? But one thing that we don't have an option that we don't get to pick is our family, right? Family is what it is, our family of origins. It is what it is. But if we had a choice, we would perhaps make some adjustments to our family, right? Even if, we'd, if we wouldn't change everything about our family, we would probably want to, you know, change some of the details of this story. We would, we would exercise editorial uh, uh, rights and rewrite some of the narrative of our story. Well, God is the author of human history, and he has all the options. He makes the options. But what does God do when it's time to deal with this fallen world? What does he do? He chooses to join the mess of the human family. In fact, he chooses to come in person into the human family, into your mess and into my mess, right? Because it's not just the, the people that surround us that are the problem. We are the problem. We contribute to the mess of the human family. But this is the family that God decides to come in, the person of Jesus. A complicated family with a complicated history. A family of idolaters, murderers, liars, extortioners, adulterers, doubters, and he comes as one of us. 
He lives, he walks, he eats with broken and bad people. He experiences the same world that they experience. And ultimately, he dies on a cross to forgive their sins, your sins and mine. And that's the wonder that we celebrate uh, in Christmas. That's the good news that we celebrate uh, in Christmas time, that God himself has come to us, to the muck of our history and experience. He's come to restore us, to bring us back to himself, to forgive us, and to fold us into his family. So let's consider that now. The family that God brings us into. The family that God brings us into. So God steps into our reality to restore our broken relationship with him. Right? That's why Jesus came to forgive our sins by dying on the cross for our sins, to restore our, uh, to, to break the enmity that we have with him because of our sin. But also, he comes to restore our broken relationship with one another. And the genealogy that we just read gives us glimpses of this restoration. You see, um, in, uh, for the ancient Jew, there were two kinds of people in the world. Jews and everyone else. Right? Or to put it another way, Jews and Gentiles. And these groups were not supposed to mix. Most of the time, Jews and Gentiles were deadly enemies. But as God makes promises, and his promises unfold in history, Gentiles are folded into the people of Israel. Right? And even in this genealogy, we have Rahab, who was a Canaanite. Then we have Ruth, who was a Moabite, and Uriah, who was a Hittite. Now, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but that means that these are, these are the peoples that, uh, they come from the peoples that were Israel's enemies at the time, right? And as the history of redemption or the history of the Bible reaches its climax in the life and work of Jesus Christ, all the laws and the ceremonies and the institutions that once divided Jews from Gentiles become obsolete. Because Jesus comes not only as the savior of one ethnic group, but as the savior of the world. As Romans 10 says, Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law. And as we saw also in a few, a few weeks ago when we were in our Galatians series, we see that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free, nor male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. That means that if you believe in Christ, this genealogy right here is part of your history. This is your family tree. Those of us who believe in Christ are the true children of Abraham. That's why we can say that Jesus is the savior of Chileans and U.S. Americans and Russians 
and Salvadorians and Jews and Palestinians. Jesus is the savior of Africans and Asians and Europeans. He's the savior of men, women, children, rich, poor, educated, and uneducated, I guess. Uneducated. He is the savior of Reston people and Herndon people and Sterling people and even Ashburn people. (laughs) He is the savior of everyone who looks to him as Lord and Savior. Christ came into the world to save us, to forgive us, so that we would overflow in forgiveness for one another, so that we would welcome one another as he has welcomed us, so that we relate to one another, not according to all differences, but according to the grace that he's extended us. And you know how he does that? He does it in the context of this family, the church. And the church, like any other family, is, is messy. Perhaps even messier because it's larger and more complex than any other family. But in that mess of, of our family and the mess of the church, We can affirm that God is with us. God is with us. And I know that the idea of God is God being with us uh, may not immediately give you warm and and fuzzy uh, feelings, right? Because that that statement and that reality doesn't necessarily answer all your questions. Um, And we all may have negative associations with, with church and family. And especially in a day like today, right? Christmas Eve could be a wonderful day as a family, could be a terrible day. But what gives us hope in in the mess that we still are in? Well, consider what we see in this passage again. This genealogy is, um, yes, it's a list of names, but it's also a brief history of the people of Israel. By the time uh, that Jesus came into the scene, the Jewish family had been through a lot, but both good and bad. Idolatry and true worship, sojourn and establishment, freedom and slavery, peace and war, order and chaos, unity and division, exile, restoration, occupation. If you had called an Israelite on any given Tuesday and asked them how things were going and what God was doing in their lives, they would have told you, I don't know, man. It doesn't feel good right now. But the story of the Bible is like Wendell Berry said. It gets darker and darker and darker, and then Jesus is born. God is at work. Even better than that, God is present. He still is. He is with us. And that's what gives us hope as we consider the beauty and the brokenness of our family. That God is at work in the darkness, 
that out and through the tra tragedy and pain of our life, God can bring glory and joy. That in our mess and in the mess of our families, we're not alone. God is with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have indeed come to dwell with us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we have hope in this life because of him. Lord, help us to understand, to believe, and to rejoice in this truth that you have come to us to restore us and give us the power, Lord, to reflect that love and that grace to those around us. Thank you for making us part of your people. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.